0: And welcome to the show, everybody. You're listening to My Independence Report. My name is Kevin McDonald, and I have got to tell you, there's a gentleman that I'm going to interview for this hour that you would be well-served to stick around and to listen to him because he has done some incredible things, faced some incredible obstacles, and has done really well for himself. And his name is Maxwell Ivy and he is on the line with me right now. Maxwell, or can I call you Max? How you doing?
1: Yeah, Kevin, you can call me Max. I'm doing real good today. How you doing?
0: I'm doing fabulous. Now, one of the things, well, first of all, let's talk about you and and your bio a little bit, because your bio is very special. Something happened to you when you were 12. Can you tell our audience what happened to you?
1: Right. Well, um, I was... Uh, Born with a a vision disease called retinitis pigmentosa or RP and was diagnosed with it when I was four or five years old and was gradually losing my vision. But about the time I was 12 or 13, I had a big drop off in my vision to the point that I had to start learning to use a white cane. Uh, I went from reading regular print textbooks to large print to eventually listening to books on tape. Uh I had to learn how to read braille and you know, be take lessons in how to how to navigate uh crossing streets and using buses and things like that. So uh and about I would say my vision stayed stayed pretty stable from then until I uh started in college and then I had another big drop off in vision to the point where I was uh totally blind or have what they call light perception, but I have no Functional vision, and it's been that way since uh, since the early nineties. So you know, over twenty, close to thirty years of having this level of vision.
0: Now, for, for those of us that are are really blessed to be able to have vision, it's it's hard to imagine what your thought process was going through that, and how difficult it was to go through that. What, how did you handle that?
1: Well, I was blessed with uh, two things. One, I grew up in a family of people who do things. My family, uh, at that time, owned a carnival, and some of my relatives still do. And people that operate small businesses, they they get used to to finding solutions to not having all the resources they would want. So they're kind of a the old can-do spirit type people that uh, are. Not the kind of people who are going to listen to anybody sit around and feel bad for themselves. Uh, the other thing was, is I was was in a school district, and one of the things I've learned over the years is a lot of how people with disabilities, whether it be blindness, hearing loss, or, or other physical issues, when they're in their, you know, in their school days, a lot of it comes down to the the the, the wealth or the resources of whatever school district they happen to live in. And it is different from county to county. And the district I was in, we had uh, orientation mobility instructors uh, on the staff for the district. We had braille instructors. Uh, we had people in our special education department who weren't there just to be babysitters. They were there to to help you do your classwork so you could progress uh on to the next grade on to graduation and on to attending college so between those two things i really dealt with it very well there uh, you know like like with with most people of any age there would be days where you just you get frustrated and angry that it's taking you longer or it's harder to do something than it should be but for the most part i i think me and my family and the other people around me dealt with it really well so you know one of one of the common themes you're hearing nowadays is it's about the people you associate with it's your circle of friends, it's your accountability partners it's the people you associate with online or in person. Well, I was lucky enough to be uh surrounded by a big um, uh extended family many of many of them in the same industry, many of them raised the same way with the same values as well as being in a good school.
0: You know you you mentioned that uh, you were a carnival owner uh in your youth or when you were young and and your father was uh within that with you and uh what's it like to own a carnival and travel around I assume it was a traveling show yeah
1: Oh yeah yeah we had a uh we had a, a small carnival seven to eight rides it was the, the biggest we ever were and we'd have three or four games and a food wagon uh I have a cousin who with his kids and now grandkids they have over thirty rides and their their midway is probably worth several million dollars so you know they're they're if it were a game of monopoly they would have won the game as far as my family goes <laughs> because at one time there was four different carnivals operated by people from the Wagner Ivy uh family. There was uh, Lone Star Amusements um, there was Ralph Wagner shows, there was Wagner's Kitty Rama, and there was Astro City Amusements, which was our company. So there were four at one time, all from one family, all in Southeast Texas. And it was very competitive. Uh, growing up as a young kid, they liked to, to they like to know where I was because with me, uh, having, uh, starting to have vision, vision problems and, you know, knowing that especially when you're open and there's a crowd on the midway that it doesn't take much to, you know, to start an argument or, or create a fuss. So they like to know where I was and they usually would, would have me assist in either the, the food wagon or in one of the games. And uh spent a lot of time working with my grandmother in her cotton candy stand uh, doing the popcorn and the snow cones and, uh, the general cleaning type chores, and also you know taking the money from the customers, and so they knew where I was, and you know I was was being taught how to how to work and how to earn a living, that sort those sort of things. So they thought that was a good idea. And then, like I say, as I got older, um, I worked uh, kids games, usually the duck pond game, where they would pick up the duck, and the number on the bottom would tell what prize they won. So I did that. I also did the bookings where I, you know, spent a lot of my time calling people up and asking if they wanted to have our carnival at their event. And I actually credit that as one of my, one of my skills today that really helps me a lot because as my, my friends and clients will tell you, Max ain't afraid of of being told no. And the reason is, is when you spend 15 years calling people in a state like Texas, asking them if they want a seven or eight ride carnival, when uh, most, when all your competitors have 15 or 20 or 30, uh, you spend a lot of time being told no, just about every way possible. And you only manage to fill out your calendar by being persistent, continuing to make that next phone call. And. As my dad used to always say, when I get tired of it, he would go, Max, if you don't ask, they can't say yes. Now who's the next committee that we, that we got on the list to call there. So, and you know, that really has served me well. Cause I spend a lot of my time asking people for stuff either for me or for my clients, uh, you know, I tell people, Hey, you should, you should have me speak at your event or you should have me on your podcast or, uh, you should buy this product or this service. And the the fact that, you know, being told no doesn't scare me is a really big asset. And I think there are probably a lot of people out there who who have assets like that who've never really thought of them in, in the right way to where they might turn them into a a skill or a business or possibly a, a side hustle since that's the more, you know, the in vogue expression these days. So um, I ask people for for things, for opportunities, for help for myself and my clients. And I learned that by booking a small carnival in the state of Texas for 15 years. And then in 2003, my dad passed away to lung cancer. Uh, we kept the show going for about three years. And then eventually we, our show went out of business and we combined with my uncle's carnival. And we had competed very bitterly over the years with my uncle for bookings. And, um, is is it was not a good feeling to, you know, one to go out of business and lose the family carnival. But the other thing is, is like, if we have to lose, why do we have to lose to them? Kind of attitude <laughs> at the time. Yeah. There are yeah. a bunch of other carnivals we could we you know we could call somebody else up. But um, my mom and my brothers were were like, we know them, their family. We should do that. So uh, I went into a bit of a depression for. You know, probably the better part of, of a year. Uh, my health, which had never been good before, declined quite a bit. I put on even more weight. Um, eventually, we were almost thrown out of a motel in Port Lavaca, Texas, because I because I wet the 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 bedding in their motel. And was decided to go see a doctor. Actually, I was dragged to go see a doctor and. The, doctor said, Mr. Ivy, you're not in very good health and if you don't change your, your ways you're probably not gonna be around here much longer. So that winter I went home and I and I saw a doctor here in Houston. Uh they put me on a bunch of medicines for cholesterol and high blood pressure and gout and other stuff. But uh eventually my doctor would get me to be tested and treated for sleep apnea. And once I was treated for sleep apnea and started getting better rest and better sleep at night, uh, I started having more passion and more energy, and I thought to myself, you know, uh, I'm through in the carnival world uh, as far as owning rides and games, and my uncle doesn't want my help booking events, so what else do I know that I can do? And that's when I started helping other people sell their surplus rides and games. You know, I started a website called the Midway Marketplace, and the website went online in uh, January of 2008, I think. Uh, we filed for the domain name in 2007, but it took until January before we were able to figure out how to get online with it. So uh decided to start helping people sell rides and, uh, you know, started working on this new business. I was feeling better, and uh, that was in 2007, 2008, and I started working to uh, to build that business. And then just to finish the health stuff in 2012, my doctor convinced me to go to a seminar on gastric surgery. At the seminar, they explained to me how it was not uh, a quick fix. I wasn't giving up, that it was still going to take lots of work. And I'm one of those people, if you tell me I'm going to have to work for it, I'm in. So uh, <laughs> I started I started with their, you know, with the nutritionist, the dietitian, and eventually their psychologist. So, you know, we changed things like started drinking more water, got rid of the caffeine, switched the liquids for solids, started exercising more. And then in October 2012, I had the surgery, and, and by the middle of 2014, I was down to my ideal weight of 260 pounds, which is about half of what I weighed in in uh, February of 2012, when I had you my first
0: You weighed 500
1: weigh in. pounds. They've got a picture of me working my kitty high striker game where they say it looks more like 600.
0: Oh, geez. um
1: but, Yeah, because you know when you when you weigh over 350, it's not like there are a lot of places you can go weigh and get an accurate <laughs> an accurate measure. You know, what I mean.
0: That, you end up true. having
1: to go to places, you have to go to places like, you know, like a feed dealership, you know, like the farm supply store or a meat market or places where they weigh big, heavy stuff, you know, like maybe a truck supply company or something. Those are the kind of places you have to go weigh if you're over 350, you know, so so not really knowing how bad off I had let myself get, we uh, I weighed in at, officially weighed in at 512 pounds on February 14th of 2012 but wow my you know but like I say it's it's very very well could have been it was more than that because I had uh I had been taking some steps before going to the seminar just not being very successful with it so it's uh uh and the getting getting healthy has been part of my story as far as my success as an entrepreneur and as as helping other people so Back to starting the Midway Marketplace, uh, I really didn't have the first clue how much I didn't know about being online. And, of course, you know, I wasn't alone in that because this was 2007, 2008. was before Facebook, before WordPress, before Wi-Fi. I mean, this was back when a 56K modem uh, dial-up Internet connection was a big deal, you know. Yeah, So. So
0: I remember. You know, running
1: a website, yeah, yeah. This was back when a when a good webmaster could make thousands of dollars a, a website just designing people's websites because there were so few people who knew how to do it, and a lot of people who needed it done, and and most of those people who needed it done didn't know just how badly they were being t- being taken advantage of by the by the majority of these website uh, developers at that time. You know, it's you know just like you know, five or six years ago when somebody could start a blog and add and put AdSense on it and make, you know, crazy money. So things yeah. change as people learn more and more. But I, I had to learn how to recruit clients. And, of course, I started by asking anybody that we had ever worked with at, at events or that knew me or knew my dad because I felt like they'd be more likely to say yes. Uh, I ended up having to learn how to hand code HTML because being blind and not having the money to hire a webmaster uh, I couldn't use the what you see is what you get method that most people were using at the time. And so the only thing I could do was HTML and I, you know, I went through the w3c.org school and learned how to create the homepage and the links and embed images and all of the basic stuff you do for a website and started uh, improving the site I had and adding new pages to it and really trying to learn so that, uh, if at some point I did hire a webmaster to do it where it would look pretty, because you know, as a blind person I can I can address the 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 technical side of it as far as does it do what it needs to do? Can people visit the website to see the equipment that's for sale? Can they contact me and then go go from there to buy it? I could do that, but I can't you know, I I can't address what it looks like visually and in, in fact it was pretty bad looking visually. Um <laughs> It well, was, it, it, yeah, that um, happened. Yeah. Well, see, I, I, I'll get to that in just a second. But uh, I had to learn how to, you know, I had to figure out how to set the fees and uh, uh, write the ad copy and use social media as it came along, build an email list and figure out how to get people to subscribe to it. So it, was, it seemed like all the time I was having to learn something new. You know, then people said, Mike, you got to have a blog. So I had to figure out, well, how am I going to create and and write posts for a blog? So... Um, but one of my favorites, one of my favorite experiences was my website because, uh, when I chose the colors for it, I chose them based on their names without knowing what shades of colors went with these names because I felt like, well, they're, they're just basic color names. There shouldn't be any risk in that. And I, I chose yellow for the background because, uh, I I remember when I could see good that the toys on the midway always looked better on yellow than they did on white. And I chose blue for the text and red for the link text and orange for the previously quick links and It turned out that the yellow was a ice creaming yellow, the blue was navy the red was brick, and the orange was some fluorescent looking orange like you'd see on the side of a hockey talk <laughs> uh, so i was I've been told more than once that my website was so was so vivid that uh, Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder could have argued over it i mean it was <laughs> it was bright it was bad if in fact, if you or the listeners want to, you can go to a website called archive.org, and you can look for the Midway Marketplace from 2008, and see just about just how bad it was. And in addition to the colors, I had no way of editing people's images to where they were uniform in size, so I might have two or three different sized images on the same page together. So it was, you know, it was not great. It was, like I said, y'all can go to WC, y'all can go to archive.org and look it up. I will advise you not to look directly into the monitor when the screen loads, though. I mean, it was,
0: it was bright.
1: <laughs> but but the thing is, is that I did what um, – the the reason I, I enjoy telling people about this website and how bad it was is because in spite of the thing not being visually perfect or anywhere close to it, the website, I used it to sell quite a bit of equipment, uh, rides that were sold all over the world some of them hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I did it because I didn't fo- I didn't pay attention to what I couldn't do. I focused on what I could do something about. I'm like, okay, I can't this is as good as the website's gonna get for now. But I can recruit new clients and add new equipment to the website. I can get people to send me videos of their stuff in action which makes it more likely people want to buy. You know, I can post to social media. I can send out mass emails. I can do the things to drive the traffic and get people to see this stuff. Because if they see it, they can decide they have to have it. And if they have to have it, they're going to buy it. And when they buy it, I'm going to get paid. That was the approach I took to the website. And that worked. I was going to say, I was, uh, I was sold right, uh to people in Australia, uh, most of the U- most of the U.K., um. Even one, one even went to uh, South Africa. So I mean, their website was successful in spite of it not being visually, uh, you know, all turned out like it should be. You know, uh, if it were a suit, it would have been a zoo suit. You know, it was. <laughs>
0: Well, it was the content. It was the And, and I'm I'm here to tell you a couple of things that that uh, struck me, Max. Is that first of all, I was in sales and I was a sales manager for most of my adult life. Finding somebody who can actually like doing cold calls is very very difficult. Nobody likes to be told no, and <laughs> and it is amazing that that you would be. One of those few that don't mind doing cold calls and and are kind of motivated by it because when when you're doing cold calls and you get no 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 when you finally get a yes it's kind of an exciting moment.
1: <laughs> yeah, yes. More than once I forgot what I was supposed to tell them next because they said yes. You know. Or
0: they, yep. I, I, told, I can understand. I
1: that. Told yeah, I told one fair board, in, fair board in Missouri one year, I said, yeah, we'll come up there for X, for X percent. My dad said, Max, you didn't tell them what we were going to give them. They think you are giving them zero percent. I said, yeah, but they said we could come. <laughs>
0: Well and that's cuz it's so exciting when somebody actually says yes you you're just not used to it. It's it's amazing. Yeah. So yeah. So let me so let me recap here for somebody that maybe just uh, t- uh tuning in. You uh were a carnival operator and you um uh and then when your dad passed away and you sold the carnival, you then turned lemons into lemonade and and built the website and did that. You were 500 500 plus pounds and you lost half of yourself and uh, to get down to two 250 and now I'm looking at your bio, and you also decided that you were going to uh, write some motivational books. You were going to do a blog. The blog is called The Blind Blogger, which attracted me to you because I thought that was very interesting that you would do that. Tell us about what morphed you into creating the books and becoming an author. All right.
1: Well, uh, I was – Minding my own business, promoting the website, uh showing up every day trying to build the business as, as an equipment broker. And people kept telling me that what I was doing was inspiring and I kept telling them, No, it's it's no big deal, it's just what I'm doing. I just you know, solve the next problem that's in front of me so that I can I can get to this goal of, of making this business pay financially on a on a regular basis. And, and finally, a good friend of mine, Adrienne Smith, who used to be known as the blog commenting superstar, but she's changed business model since then. So um, she finally explained it to me. She says, You know, Max, the reason people find you inspiring is because uh, you have a perfect built in excuse. If you just wanted to sit on the couch, watch TV, and eat junk food, nobody would say anything bad about you for doing that. She said, but there are a lot of people who don't have a built-in excuse who still aren't doing anything with their lives. They sleepwalk through their days. They they do the exact minimum. Even if they're unhappy, it's it's an unhappiness they're comfortable with because they're familiar with it. And she said, you you choose to to do these difficult, challenging things even when you really don't have to, and that's what makes people inspired by you. So I finally said, okay, I understand it. Uh, and I want to embrace this, so I started a second website, theblindblogger.net, uh, and just started sharing my experiences of being an entrepreneur who happens to be blind. And uh, of course, some of my, many of my stories are, you know, include a setback, a disaster, a failure at some point in the story. But usually, there's, you know, how how I managed to get through that or around it or. Uh, how I managed to learn a lesson or find something positive from it usually feature in, in my posts or my videos as well. And I was writing posts for the blog, the at the net and people and I and of course at the um, for the for the Midway Marketplace and the Blind Blogger, I was doing podcast interviews uh, to promote the the websites, and I started doing that in 2013, and so. A lot of times people would ask me uh, would ask me things, and the first time it happened had to do with my first book, Leading You Out of the Darkness into the Light, A Blind Man's Inspirational Guide to Success. A woman named Eve Koivula asked me if, if I would be part of an online summit, and she said, Max, in order for this, to, the way these things work is you have to have something you can give away or something you can sell at a deep discount so people will sign up to your email list. And I think you should write a book. And I said, Well, I've never written one. Have no intention of writing one. And she basically double dog dared me to write a book. So, and <laughs> and to do it, and to do it in about 45 days because the summit was going to be in about two months. And I said, I don't think that's going to work. And she shared with me her favorite quote from Richard Branson, which is, Promise that you can deliver, and then figure out how. And I said, Well. That sounds really good and I like it, but um, if this don't go well, I'm blaming this all on you. I'm going to tell them it was your fault. There ain't no book. And so I started writing the book and about a month later, I get an, e- an email from her and she says, Max, there are four other women involved in this summit. and They've all decided that it would be better for marketing if it was an all woman thing. So you're out. And I said, okay. Um, I've, grew up in a family of carnival owners of, you know, I, I know about promotion. I sometimes will tell people that, you know, that we, that my family, we have, you know, we have blood from people like Colonel Parker and Barnum and us at some point back in the history. So, uh, I understand the whole idea of wanting to put, uh, uh, feet on the ground, butts in the seats and faces behind the screens. I said, that's fine, but I'm gonna keep writing the book. And I eventually, uh, finished writing it or actually, I, I wasn't sure I was finished writing it. Uh, I was sharing it with friends of mine, and eventually it got shared with uh, with a woman named Lorraine Reguly. Uh, she runs a website called Wordingwell. dot com, and she's a an editor and a proofreader and a ghostwriter. And uh, so, she had helped me with some problems I'd had on my blog. There was a problem where I couldn't get the images in my blog post to to show up right. They were covering up text, and people were having trouble reading my articles. So. After she had helped me with that, we had built a relationship, and so she helped me edit and format and get my book uh, published to Amazon in uh, January of 2014, Uh, but I originally didn't think the book was good enough. I didn't think it was long enough. It turns out uh, when it was edited at uh, 82 pages, but people who have read it say that it's the perfect link. It's not intimidating. It's just size book you can carry around in your purse or your briefcase if you want to refer back to some of the lessons in it. And so I finally accepted that the book was good enough after it was published and people started telling me that they were that it, that it was good, but I I have since learned from my own experiences and that of other authors that it doesn't matter how many times you publish when it comes time to send your manuscript off whether you're sending it to a um a um uh, Uh, an editor that you've hired or you're sending it to an editor at a book at a publishing company, you never really feel great about your work. You always feel like it could be better that it ain't ready yet, but you know, eventually you just have, you you get better at dealing with those thoughts and feelings and it takes less and less effort to send the book off. But uh, she did do a great job of editing. The thing I did with the book that was unusual is I included my email address, and encourage people that as they work through the exercises in the book that they should write and let me know about their progress and uh, that if they at some point needed some encouragement that I would be would be there for them. Because I've, I've learned a couple of things in reading a lot of other people's books before writing that first one of on my own. And that is, one, there are a lot of people who read the book, listen to the audio, watch the video, go to the seminar that are still the same person when they're through uh, because the person who created that content really wasn't wanting them to succeed or change. And so I felt like they, it would be nice if they knew at least one person was interested in their success and that they had the opportunity to share it with me or to, you know, to, to mention concerns or setbacks or whatever. And, I really wanted the book to help people actually change. You know, I wanted the I didn't want it to be just something I did or something I wrote or something that would be, you know, would make money or get me booked to speak or whatever, get me on podcasts. I wanted it to be something that would actually help people that, you know, that if they worked through it, that they would at least get uh, closer to their, to their goals and dreams than they had before they read the book. That was my hope with it. And, I think it's worked out pretty well, even though there were a lot of coaches who told me, Max, if you put your email address in the book, there are going to be a lot of people trying to get free coaching from you. You're going to spend a lot of your time talking to people that you're not going to make any money off of. And I, I said, well, if that's the case, then that's the case. But I really want to see people uh, you know, improve and get better. And after all the people that had helped me in my own uh, goals over the years, I felt like that was the, the only real f- you know the right the right thing to do. You know, so I've been happy to exchange emails with people to to see people make progress, and that was the first book. Like I say, if if somebody hadn't come along and said, Max, I think you should write a book, and you should do it like next week, I probably wouldn't have written one book, much less three of them, and have most of the the writing done
0: for a fourth one. What the how when is the fourth one going to come out?
1: Uh, about a year and a half ago. Oh cool. <laughs> I'm fine. No, I that, that was a joke. I'm 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 behind on on doing the uh, I'm behind on getting this out. Uh, I've I've had some some health set, setbacks. Um I've traveled more than I should have. I'm, uh still learning how to actually keep all the balls in the air when I'm not at the house. So I'm behind, Uh, the book is about my travels during the summer of 2017 when I went out and did my first speaking and book signing events, and it, uh, my goal right now is to have the manuscript to my editor uh, before the end of the year because she has an opening for, to to edit somebody's book starting the first week of January. So if I don't get it in then, she'll get hired by somebody else, and then I'll have to wait till she's through with that project to get my my next book edited. But, yeah, I uh, I openly admit that I'm behind, that I've been making excuses, and that I need to do better. And I actually think the fact that the guy who's known as the no excuses guy occasionally has to look and go, okay, Max, these, you you can't do this. You know, these are... These are things you are allowing to you know, to get you sidetracked and to keep you from accomplishing your goal and you know better. And I think that uh that was one of the things I learned from the gastric surgery thing because the one main dietitian told me, she said, You know, Max, so I had my surgery ten years ago and you know, every every couple of years I'll I'll find myself doing things that I know don't work for me. And she said a month or two or three months after that, then I'll I'll get back to doing what I know works. And that's the way it is with my writing. Um I've written the book. I need to sit down and do my part of the editing. I need to just turn off all the crap, all the social media and email and everybody, and not do nothing for a couple of days until I've done my side of the editing and have sent it off. And uh, hopefully by the... Uh, by the time the first gets here, I'll be able to post online that I've done it, and um, I give you and your listeners full permission to call my butt out on it if I haven't done it by then. So,
0: <laughs> well, we'll do that. Hey,
1: account, you know, account, accountability is a big thing, and a lot of people use that word, but they don't really mean it. You know, they they'll say I want an accountability partner, or they'll say they want somebody to help them lose weight, or help them uh, do so much writing a day, or whatever. But most people don't really mean it, and. So I find that, you know, every once in a while I just have to go, Okay, if you see me in the grocery store or you see me online and you know, I'm on Twitter or Facebook or somewhere, you have you know, it's perfectly fine for y'all to go, Hey Max, where's your book? You know? Because otherwise yep. I wouldn't <clears throat> otherwise I wouldn't be the guy I am. You know, I I'm I'm a hundred percent authentic. I believe that, you know, whether things are going great for me or they're going awful for me uh that my biggest asset the one thing that makes people uh follow me like they do is they know they're always going to get the whole story even if it doesn't make me look good they're going to get the whole story and i actually i have a coach and i fight with her on that all the time she's like max i know that your thing is authenticity but when you give these interviews do you have to be so honest could you like (laughs) you know prepare your answers a little better and And maybe, you know, couch your responses in more positive terms. And I'm like, well, I can try, but it's just not me, you know. So I'm perfectly willing to admit that I'm quite a bit behind on on publishing my next novel and that uh, procrastination is a form of fear and that I am better at it than I would have been in 2014 because in 2014 I was waiting around for somebody else to tell me the book was good enough or that the book was big enough. Uh now I know that the book is, is just the right length to tell the story that it needs to tell, which was, you know, how I ended up traveling around the country for eight weeks and doing my first book signing and my first public speaking event and getting to spend some time with family I hadn't seen in a long time. And, and you know, how that all worked out is because, you know, where the money came from, where the courage came from, things like that. So I know that the book is just the right length. I just have to finish.
0: And, and you will, and we'll we'll oh, hold yeah. you accountable oh, yeah. for that. So yeah, yeah. on yeah. January first, I'm giving you a call. <laughs> well, actually, you <laughs> know, I, I got, actually I've got a challenge for you, young man, and that challenge yeah. would be you're going to be on Positive Talk on Martha Norwalk's Animal World on KKNW 11:50 a.m. on December 29th. You're going to be there. You know, I, was uh, thinking
1: this, I was thinking the same thing, but I wasn't sure it was okay to mention the other show here on this show. But, yeah, we can do that on the 29th. Which I challenge her to
0: done by the 29th. Okay. Well, all right.
1: Well, here's how, we, here's how we'll do this, okay? I will send you, I will forward you the email from my editor verifying that she has received my manuscript.
0: That way we we'll know
1: there. that it's all on the up and up.
0: Fair enough. That that sounds exciting because cause then that will meet your timeline and you'll get the fourth yep. book. Out. Now, let's talk about books number two and three. What are those titles?
1: Okay, number two is called It's Not the Cookie, It's the Bag, which is about my pro- my progress of, of before, during, and after having the gastric surgery and uh, – the, the lessons I learned from the experience and things that have changed in, in my life and lessons I think other people can take from my experience. And The book title actually comes from the fact that I share a home with uh, three other people. My my 75-year-old mom, my uh, 40, let's see, I'm 53, 46-year-old younger brother, Patrick, his teenage nephew, Seth, and even though I had to change all of the stuff, you know, as far as the way foods are prepared and the, the portion sizes and things like that, it's really hard to tell a teenager that there's never going to be another cookie or brownie in the house. That's just <laughs> not an argument you're going to win. That's true. No, that's not going to work. That's not going to go well. But in the, You know, the other option is he he basically will have to eat stuff at the store, at the convenience store, just not in the house. But What he did one night is he brought home one small package of frozen cookie dough. And he made that package in the oven, and we split those cookies four ways. And each of us got four cookies. And so four cookies is not bad because once those four cookies are gone, there's not another four cookies. Right, and I started, I started thinking. You know, if you buy a bag of Oreos, there's like sixty cookies in in a lot of those bags of cookies that you buy at the store, and you bring one of them bags home. It's sitting on the table or in your pantry, and it's yelling to you in the middle of the night, "Eat me!" You know. Yep. It's really hard. It's you know the then people with Lay's that used to run those "You can't just eat one t- potato chip" ads. They knew what they were talking about. Once you open that bag, you're done. And you are. Yeah, so the idea came to me, well, you know, you could do the same thing with a pizza. What says you have to buy, you know, two or three pizzas? Buy enough pizza where your, when you're three, there's no leftovers. And the same thing with a pie. Uh, so when we buy things, a lot of times we buy individually uh, packaged items. Yeah, I know that's wasteful and it's harmful to the environment. But I know that our house does not need... Uh, you know, does not need a whole box of brownies or a whole box of cookies. You know, or a whole bag of candy bars. We don't need that in our house, so we buy them just enough so when they're gone, they're gone. And that was where the whole idea of it's not the cookie, it's the bag came from. And that's one of the most prominent chapters. And uh, so, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really proud of the book. Um, the book sounds has like a, a fun a book. Oh, yeah. The book has a couple of chapters in there that I think are really helpful. One is Why Do Affirmations Not Work? Uh, Another is Why Do Food Journals Not Work? And then there's a a third one, my favorite, is called uh, Modern Meditation. And the whole chapter is about how uh, we can use repetitive, mundane tasks to clear our minds, focus our thinking, and uh, use that to uh to help us solve problems and that's uh that's and that's one of those things that kind of grew out of uh, me petting my dog. I used to complain about petting that darn dog. She always wanted me to pet her when I was in the middle of writing something. And I eventually decided, okay, why not just accept that the dog's more powerful than I am and she's going to get petted or else. <laughs> Cuz she's a 90-something pound dog and she Basically, after a while, you feel bad telling her no. But uh, so I would just decide, okay, this is going to last ten or fifteen minutes, and while I'm scratching this dog's back, I can just be clearing my mind and not thinking about nothing, or thinking about something that needed a, that needed an answer to it. And that's so I uh, I I hope that in the book I was able to share some some things that will help people as far as as far as the how and some of the things that allow you to do it on a a daily, weekly, lifetime basis. Um, So that's the second book, It's Not the Cookie, It's the Bag. Uh, And the third book is The Blind Blogger's New York City Adventures, How You Can Make Your Dreams Come True. And that book is how about in 2016 I competed for and won one of the Amtrak Riders and residents. It's a prestigious riding award that they give. Thousands of people apply for it each year. And the winners get a uh, free passage on a train anywhere in the United States that they want to go. With the idea being that if you get away from your home environment, uh, you're exposed to beautiful scenery, to, to new people, uh, to new places, that it will get your riding juices flowing and you'll be able to... Create some sort of writing work. Uh, some people, you know, they 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 uh, worked on screenplays. Uh, some people wrote poetry. Some people wrote songs. And since I'm a self-help writer who shares his experiences, I'm you know what they call a narrative nonfiction or memoir writer. I wrote about the, the process from what I was thinking and feeling when I applied to how I felt when they did, said I was was a winner to picking the destination, uh, to raising the money to go because all Amtrak paid for was the ticket. I still had to pay for my living expenses while in New York, which is where I ended up going. Uh, Like I say, selecting the city, the money, uh, why I wasn't scared when everybody else was. So lots of lessons from that book. And uh, I had a great time in New York City. The book includes, I think it's sixty. Uh, photos of uh, people and places that I went while I was there. And I personally think the photos are every bit as, as good a lesson as the book itself because um, I'm a blind guy. I yeah. cannot take a selfie to save my life. You know, That's just <laughs> ain't happening. And uh, so when I, I talked to a bunch of people before I left, and I finally just decided, okay, I've got this really simple uh, Nikon camera. And I'm just going to ask people along the way to take pictures for me. And I came back with over 200 pictures. Uh, 60 of them, of them turned out to be good enough to be in the book. But, uh, to give you an example, I've, I had pictures taken of me by cab drivers, by the guy who drove the pedal taxi, uh, by people I met on trains and on the ferry, uh, by the secret service guy at Trump Tower, by the, uh, <laughs> By the ambassadors at uh, at Tiffany's, by waiters and waitresses and ushers at uh, at the Gershwin Theater, so just basically, I would hand people my camera and tell them to ask them if they would take pictures, and they did. <clears throat> and we came back with a bunch of great photos, along with some really good stories that you know will inspire people because you know you you mentioned it earlier. My podcast is called What the What's Your Excuse Show. And that uh, basically just feeds on the whole idea that if Max can find a way to do this, then what's your excuse? So it's a really great story of how Max, uh, a totally blind guy from Houston, managed to spend two weeks in the Big Apple all by himself during Christmas and New Year's of 2016, 2017. I didn't get robbed, beaten, chased, scared. Uh, I didn't go hungry or uh or worry about where I was going to be at I got to I went skating at Rockefeller Center, I went to Wicked on Broadway uh ate at several you know more well known restaurants in the area. I had a really good time and i'm 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 constantly amazed by people who will tell me, You know, Max, I'm not really comfortable going across town by myself, and you went cross country so exactly. You know, it's a great experience. Um, not only did I not have any any really bad experiences while I was there, uh, during the two weeks I had a uh, a contractor buy my breakfast one morning. I had a cabbie try to give me his umbrella, and I had two blokes from England, and I have to say blokes because their accents were so thick that that's the only word I can think of for them, um, put me in a pedal taxi and pay the fare. For it, uh, when they couldn't figure out how to get me from Rockefeller Center, because uh Rockefeller Center is one of those places in New York they don't allow taxis into, so oh, okay. they couldn't figure i got there I got there just fine, but they couldn't figure out how to get me away from there, so you know just stuff like that happened to me while I was there, and um it was you know it was a great experience, I think the book is a really good book for people who uh you know need a a good you know are looking for a good story but at the same time want to be inspired motivated and challenged to to take action even if it's something that they're not real comfortable doing
0: well and i what you you know the type of individual that you are in the life experiences that ha, you have created and all of these things, you are the one that has created them from, you know, being being in the carnival and having that fail. You morph that into a sales job of note and then um, losing the weight and being a motivational coach and being an author and being a podcaster. What's next for you? <laughs>
1: I don't know. I tell people I try not to think about what's next because uh, I've learned better than to put limits on God. Uh, Quite often, he has plans bigger than my own. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, um, the other thing I've learned is, you know, there's a there's a there's a verse in the Bible that goes something like God will never give you more than he knows you're capable of. And and most people associate that with they think that he'll never give them a test you know, bigger than they can handle, something bad. But I figured out that that also means something good. You know, he may put a a dream in your heart that requires a lot of work, and some of that work may be kind of on the scary side. So I try to remember that uh, he can have have bigger plans than I do. I, I have days where I wonder, you know, Max, what if instead of, fighting and clawing to keep the carnival going, what if you had just accepted that was done five years sooner? You know, or uh, what if after you started the Midway Marketplace in 2008, what if you had accepted the idea that you're an inspiration in 2009 or 10 instead of 2014 because this year was my fifth anniversary as the blind blogger? Uh, You know, I have times where I think, you know, what would be the, how much farther along could I be if I had accepted some of these things that that people and my own intuition was telling me, but I just
0: didn't want to hear, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, though, um, I believe everything happens at the right time for the right reasons. And all the experiences that you had, as an example, the uh, failing carnival, you learned to really uh, push through that to keep it alive. So you learned lessons all through everything that you've done. And by the way, you're only in your early 50s, so you're a very young man. You've got lots of time (laughs) to do lots of stuff and to help lots of people. So it's, it's, it's great to get to know you
1: right you know, and that's that's one of the things I'm really starting to notice and appreciate now that I am in my fifties is that uh more and more of the of the people that are that are being successful out there are people who didn't really start until their forties or fifties. I mean we're even starting to have a genre of podcasts where they only they're only looking to interview people who you know on what what they've done in their forties fifties or sixties, so it's it's really kind of cool to see that, and you're right. I am just 53, and thankfully I'm in good health, even though I have used my body with food for 40 years before I, before I got healthy. So uh, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see, you know, 70, 80, 90 is not is not un not unheard of anymore. So we'll we'll see where both of us go. You're only in your early 60s, so you've still got some time to inspire others through your your podcast interviews and hopefully through your radio show interviews, because, you know, you mentioned KKNW earlier right now. It's, it's one Sunday a month, but, uh, you know, we, we will both be excited when we can, when, you know, assuming it happens because we both believe it's going to happen that at some point when, you know, it'll be every Sunday or it'll be your old show, maybe on a different radio station. You just, we just don't know, but, You know, you still have some time to inspire people through your interviews, uh, especially as you start to share more of the interviews you did during your first stint on on radio, that uh, you got all that great content, all those great lessons people can learn from, from those previous interviews.
0: You know, what's interesting about that, uh, uh, Max, is that the information that's brought through on a lot of those interviews is timeless. Even though it was done you know sixteen years ago, the information is as valid today as it was then it it really is quite quite amazing but uh, and I'm looking forward to being able to see this is this is my passion this is what I really want to do and I really and, and that's why I want to talk to people like you. there's enough negativity and there's enough politics and there's enough garbage in the world. I want to talk to people like you that can inspire people to be who they really are, and to not sit on the couch with that bag of cookies that they're not supposed to have and just sit there um, because they're wasting their life, they're wasting their time. And that's why a guy like you is so valuable to us because you're right. You know, we don't. I don't have an excuse. You have a built-in one and you're not taking advantage of that you're doing what you, what the, your heart is telling you to do and i applaud you greatly for that that's that it's wonderful the the things that you're doing and and in fact just a real quick story for you um when i was putting out um information to try and get people to, that I wanted to interview and you had a whole bunch of them. So you've got, so you've got that working for you too, where you are you're an active promoter of people doing positive things.
1: Yeah. You know, it's uh you know, and I think that's pretty, first I appreciate the compliment about the work I'm doing. And I think it's because of the work I'm doing that I seem to attract so many other people that have great stories that have, uh, you know, purposes that, Deserve to be shared and uh, and deserve to get exposure where more people can hear what they're doing and be affected by it for good. <clears throat> and I think you know, me and you, we talked about uh, these people I recommended to you, and I uh, I let you know that only a couple of them are actually clients of mine. Many of them are just people I've met along the way on my on my journey. People who have encouraged me or inspired me or performed services for me that. Uh, they either did it at no cost, or at, at less than they would usually charge, or uh, they did on an installment basis when they usually don't offer installments. And so, people, I feel like uh, they deserve having their stories shared. If, if I if I can, then I like to help these people. You know, I mentioned Lorraine, my editor. And without her, I, my books probably wouldn't have uh, would would have gotten published, but wouldn't have wouldn't have gotten done you know, when they did or been as good as they've been. So people like that I like to I like to help get them out in the world and hopefully uh connect them with people who might be looking for that kind of person. You know, uh
0: well I'm excited to so tell I, you I'm, that I'm I'm excited to tell you Max that I'm interviewing her tomorrow. <laughs> and we're and we're well, doing a podcast yes. tomorrow.
1: Well, I you're 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 in for a treat because you know she is one real honest strong woman who has been through a lot in her life and hasn't let it keep her hasn't let it break her let it, let it break her. Um, you know, she is a uh, a positive optimistic woman who's helping other people tell their stories by getting by getting them through the book publishing process. So yeah, I look I look forward to hearing your thoughts after interviewing her. It's a uh, I've interviewed her for my podcast and you know, it's some of her story is hard as a, as a, as an enlightened male. Some of the things that she talks about are hard to listen to. Yeah. Because I'm like, how can a how can any man treat any woman that way? But, uh, the fact that she's overcome it and the way the person she is now, I can't wait to hear what your listeners think about Lorraine. And, uh, and that's why, like I said, that's why I do it. I'm, uh, these people have helped me, they've encouraged me, inspired me. And so I, I try to help them. And in some cases, I'm fortunate that, uh, that they, that, uh, that they pay me for the efforts that I put out to, to get them bookings and promote their, their interviews after the interviews go live. So, and you know, uh, I talked about how the first book was on a dare and the, When I started doing a podcast, it was because people kept asking me why why I didn't do a podcast when they were having me interviewed on their shows. Um, I started in 2013 uh, reaching out to hosts of radio shows and podcasts to tell my story because I live in a suburb of Houston where they don't have much in the way of transit. and I thought there had to be a way I could get could meet people without meeting them face-to-face and having to figure out the logistics of buses or taxis or begging rides from friends. And so I found uh, Blog Talk Radio. I did my first interview with uh, Brian the Hammer Jackson, 2013, and I just continued to do those interviews. <clears throat> and over the years, people have said, Max, we really love hearing you on the radio. And then they would say, how do you manage to get on the radio or podcast? And then they would go, can you tell me how to do it? And then eventually they started going, well, Max, that's too much work. Can you do it for me? So that's <laughs> And something I did, you know, let's say in self-defense as, uh, you know, pretty much solving a problem I didn't have a good answer for, uh, has become something that not only can I do to help my friends and my online family, but it's also something that's become a thing. It's become a, a a service or a consultancy or whatever you want to call it. It's uh, taken advantage of my promoting chops where, like you say, I don't mind being told no. And uh, I write a pretty good email as far as telling people why the answer should be yes. And so it's turned into a into a thing and, it allows me to to do the things that I really love doing, which is, you know, recording my own interviews for my podcast, what's your excuse, Uh, traveling, speaking, uh, writing the books. And, you know, not all of that, uh, you know, not all of that pays the bills, you know, (laughs) some of it, just as much goes out as comes in. But, uh, you know, as you, you know, each time I do a book, the book is better. Each time I uh, go out to speak. I, you know, make more money from the stage, or, you know, I'm starting to get opportunities where people are going to pay me, or at least provide my expenses to speak. So it's it's all a process, and uh, thankfully though, this this online media work, the cold calling, the marketing stuff that I do, it allows me to do what I love, just like you know your your day job allows you to do this podcast and you know so many so many other people in the world they they work that 40 hours a week or 50 or 60 hours a week to pay the bills but then they have got that that 10 or 12 or 15 hours on the night in the night or on the weekends where they're doing what they love doing and even if they never get paid from it it's it's their passion it's what allows them to get up and go to work and do that job that maybe they don't care too much for
0: exactly and and this is what you're doing by the way i've got the i've got the title for well, i don't know if i've got the title but i've got the subject of your next book the the fifth yep. book and that's going to yep. be the the art of cold calling <laughs> trust me i that is you know it got to the point when i was in sales management i sat in front of a bunch of sales guys and they were talking about cold calling and stuff and i said look if you don't feel good about yourself, if you don't feel positive, if you don't feel like you're going to go in there and no is okay, go home. <laughs> There's no point in you even being out here. So you've got to make sure that you're ready to go. And if somebody says no, your next line to yourself is okay. Who's next? So yeah, I actually it-
1: have the t- I actually have the title for that book. Uh, the title, <laughs> it's going to be. It's going to be more. It's going to be more than just about cold calling. It's going to be about asking for things in general, uh, asking for help, and also asking for opportunities. It's going to be called, "If you don't ask, they can't say yes." Oh, that's great. Or maybe, or maybe just if you don't ask, with a big question mark.
0: I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, I. So I, that's I, what I I'm, but go ahead.
1: But that's what I'm thinking of because one of the things that I have become kind of been uh been requested to speak about over the last year is um is the whole idea of um how asking for help and being willing to accept help when offer, offered allows people to make much better progress in their careers and to do it more quickly than when they're trying to do everything on their own and i firmly believe we're not put on this earth to do things all by ourselves and that even if we were able to do everything ourselves, it's just not as much fun. It's a lot more entertaining if you allow people to be part of your journey and part of your story. And I've come up with an expression to try to help people in this area so that they will ask for help and so they won't get offensive when people offer help because a lot of times it's easy to ask. It's a lot harder to accept because they feel like, what is this person? They think I'm so poor all They think I'm so inept that I need their help, you know, what more defensive uh, responses to to an offer than there is when people get up the nerve to ask. And so what I tell people is when you refuse to ask, you rob the other person of a joy they would have received from helping you. And I find that when I can get people to focus on the other person and take the emphasis off of themselves, the whole process of asking for help gets a lot easier. Now <coughs> accepting help when offered is, is a, is still a whole step more than that because like I said, people will get defensive um I've known more than my share of people who are who were blind over the years that offering to lead them across the street might get you an argument you know it just it's just <laughs> and 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 some people take more offense over it than others um me if i'm sta- if I stand somewhere and uh, and I look like I'm lost, and somebody walks up and asks me if, if they can t- if they can help me. If you know they want to know where I'm where I'm going, if they can help me get there, I am sure as heck not going to tell them no. I got this, especially when the odds are I don't got this. So,
0: <laughs> well, and you know, it's a good thing that, that and, you, know, you know. And ladies and gentlemen, we've been talking with Maxwell Ivy. He is a podcaster. He is a blogger, the blind blogger. He is uh, he builds websites. He works with people all the time to help them uh, improve their business, and, to, and he's a coach. He does all those things, and he is from Houston, Texas. He's going to be on uh, KKNW 1150 AM at 10 AM Pacific Time on the 29th of December. He's going to have his fourth book, in the can to the uh, uh publisher by the twenty ninth. He's promised me that. And so he's gonna get that done. And it's 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 great to talk to him. So I'm gonna get to talk to him again in a week and a half and it'll be it'll be great fun to introduce him to the audience in Seattle. So I'm um, looking forward to that. Maxwell it's I'm been for, go I'm ahead. looking
1: forward to it too. I, I'm looking forward to, to it too. I really appreciate you having me on the on your show and the one thing I like to make sure I never forget to say is, is I understand most that almost everybody who does a podcast is not doing it to get rich. They're doing it because they have a passion, or because they have they feel a sense of obligation to help people like me share our stories. So I want, want to let you know how much I appreciate the the time, effort, and money that you put into putting this show out there in the world, and let you know I really appreciate it.
0: Well, I appreciate you for doing what you're doing and you know, this is kind of like a an all appreciation uh, uh moment but you know and no it's great it's a great fun and I appreciate you appreciating me for for doing this and I I'm, I'm really hopeful that uh one of these days we'll get to meet in person and it, maybe it will be at a uh conference or something that will be really cool. So, I'm looking forward to it Max That's It's This it's great to talk to you and and uh, is there anything that you would like to tell the world as a final thought before we go
1: uh two things one is uh if you're if you're working towards a big goal or dream find one small action you can take every day no matter how insignificant it makes it may seem at the time because those those small steps do add up to the big leap and the second thing is is, is I pref- I would much rather answer an awkward question than to have people guess. So if people have questions about me or or what I do or how I do it, if they will just reach out to me at the or they could send an email to just ask at the and start a conversation, uh be- begin to become friends and see where it leads because I have met a lot of great people over the years through the internet. I wouldn't be where I am now without the community that I have built uh, through blogging and podcasting, and I really hope that uh, through your show, maybe I can be that for at least one person that's listening to you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I appreciate, I appreciate that. You you've been listening to Maxwell Ivy and go to uh, theblindblogger.net, dot net right. Dot net yeah, yeah, and go go check out his stuff. And by the way, if you're looking to uh promote yourself, talk to him. He can promote you. He has done a really good job as a matter of fact, he placed people that aren't even on his list of people that he works with on my show. so uh, they're going they're going to be uh, um, um, guests, future guests of the podcast. so uh with that, uh thank you very much maxwell is it, Do you want to put out a phone number or anything, or do you want to just put out the the website?
1: The website and emails is good enough.
0: All righty, then. So with, with that, I'd like to thank everybody for paying attention. Uh, it's great to have Maxwell on the show, and we look forward to seeing you next time. By the way, be nice to yourself. Be kind to other people, because each other's always God. We'll see you next time on My Independent Show. Hey, and thanks for listening to this episode all the way to the end. Hey, pretty cool.